Chapter 3 of Shmuel begins Vanar Shmuel Mishoretet Hashem Ufneeli Udvar Hashem Oyoyakar Bayamima Haim Ein Chazon Nifratz. We know that Shmuel was handed by Chana to Eli to serve God and to be tutored by Eli, the high priest. And in chapter 2, the text discriminates between Shmuel on one hand, one might say Eli's spiritual son, authentic spiritual son, and Eli's children, Chofni Pinchas, who are described in chapter 2 as being wicked. Wicked both in terms of their relationship to the people whom they uh, threaten, and wicked in terms of God. They put themselves before God. At the end of chapter 2, a prophet is sent to speak to Eli, to condemn Eli's children, and in fact to condemn Eli for not disciplining his children, and to predict the destruction of Shiloh, the destruction of the house of Eli. And chapter 3 begins by telling us about Shmuel, as I mentioned, serves God before Eli. Eli is his teacher, Eli is his rebbe, Eli, one might say, is his actual father, not his biological father. And the chapter begins by saying, In those days, God's word was yakar, precious or rare. Prophecy was not widespread. The text continues, It came to pass at that time, Eli was sleeping in his place. His eyes had become dim. He could not see. Verse 3. The lamp of God had not yet been extinguished. And Samuel was sleeping in the temple of God. Where was to be found the ark of God. The first three verses speak of the lights dimming. In verse number one, in Chazon Nifratz, Chazon is a vision. Vision was not widespread. In fact, it was rare, Yakar. In verse number two, Eli's eyes are dim. In fact, he can't see. And in verse three, the lamp of God was not yet extinguished, suggesting that the lights are dimming. This is the beginning of chapter three, a chapter in which Shmuel will be called by God, called to serve as God's prophet, as God's spokesperson. We'll come to that shortly. But this imagery of the dimming lights recalls for the reader another story of the Torah, which speaks of the lights being dim. There is a light, but it's dim. And that story, of course, is to be found in the book of Exodus, chapter 3. It's the story of the burning bush, the sneh. The little shrub was on fire. The fire was not consumed. What is the imagery of the sneh? What does the sneh represent? And actually, the sneh can represent many things. Various midrashim read the sneh differently. But the most plausible, and, and I think the primary meaning of the sneh, is that in the book of Exodus, the fire represents revelation, God's presence. At Sinai, there, which is the same place as the snare, there will be the great fire, the great revelation to all of Israel. But the story of the snare in Exodus chapter 3 is about 
a private revelation to one person. And in fact, when one encounters chapter 3 of the book of Exodus, and hears God speaking to Moshe, suddenly we realize that God hasn't spoken in a very long time. In fact, God hasn't spoken since chapter 46 of the book of Genesis, when Jacob was going down to Egypt, and the language of God speaking to Jacob in Genesis chapter 46, and the language of God speaking to Moshe in chapter 3 of the book of Shemot is virtually identical. In each case, Moshe, Moshe, Yaakov, Yaakov. In each case, the response was, Hineni, I am present. In each case, God speaks as the God of the parent, the God of the father. I am the God of your father, God said to Moses, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Similarly, when God speaks to Jacob in Genesis 46, in each case, we have the expression of God going down and bringing up. I will go down with you to Egypt and I will bring you up, says God, to Jacob in chapter 46 and to Moshe in chapter 3. I will go down to Egypt and bring them up into the land. So the two stories are parallel and that reinforces the very important point that what the snare represents is the fact that God is speaking now, yes, just to one person, but God has not spoken. In other words, being in Egypt means being in a place where God does not speak. Now, in the book of Genesis and the book of Exodus, Egypt is a place. In the book of Shmuel, though, Egypt is very present. Shmuel is the one who is to bring us out of Egypt. That's Hannah's prayer. In fact, Hannah's prayer, Imro, Tireh, Bani, Amatecha, is precisely parallel to what God said to Moses at the burning bush. Ro, Ro'iti, et But the book of Samuel takes Egypt not as simply a place, but as an idea. You can be sleeping inside the temple. In fact, you can be sleeping in the Holy of Holies. Pechal Hashem, Elohim. Nonetheless, you're in Egypt. Because you're in a place where God is not speaking. But suddenly, as in the case of the burning bush, God begins to speak. Not to the high priest, who's in his place. But rather to Samuel, who is sleeping. It's interesting that this expression, can be read in two different ways. You can translate the verse is saying, and Samuel was sleeping in the temple of God in which the ark is present. In other words, not that Samuel is sleeping next to the ark, but he's sleeping in the temple in which is found the ark. The alternative is that Samuel is sleeping in the temple where there is the ark, that he's actually sleeping next to the ark. There is a difference between these two interpretations, but fundamentally they're the same. That is to say, what is the idea of sleeping either next to the ark or where there is the ark? The ark in the Torah, as Nachmanides emphasized in his commentary, is the place from which God speaks. But in point of fact, God is not speaking. Ein chazon nifratz. Yakar. The word of God is precious or rare. Presumably, because God has no one to whom to speak. And in addition to that, 
the silence of God may represent as well the anger of God. Chana in chapter 1 can't speak. She's too bitter. Marat Nefesh. She's too angry. She's too bitter. Disconsolate. And perhaps we can read into this verse as well. God's anger. But in point of fact, the ark has become a museum piece. Because God isn't talking. But suddenly, God begins to speak. You can be in the Holy of Holies and be in Mitzrayim. That's what the book of Samuel is saying. But now God has found someone to whom to speak, to Shmuel. This is the inauguration of Samuel as prophet. Just as the story of the burning bush is the inauguration of Moses as prophet. And when God begins to speak to Shmuel in chapter 3, and Samuel said as Moses did, but in chapter 3, when Shmuel hears the voice, he runs off to Eli, his teacher, his Rebbe. I am here for you, have called me. So Eli says, no, I didn't call you. Go back to sleep. Vayelech Vayishkavi lies down. And again, in verse number 6, Vayosef Hashem, Kro'od Shmuel, God again calls Samuel. Again, Vayokam Shmuel Vayelech Eli. Again he goes to Eli. Vayomer Hinaniki Karatali. I'm here. Lo Karati Bani. I didn't call you. Shub, go back to sleep again. Then the text interrupts by informing us. Don't think poorly of Samuel. He's a novice. God never spoke to Samuel. Samuel doesn't know God. He doesn't know. Again, God called Samuel a third time. I'm here for you have called me. Notice that Samuel says exactly the same thing each time. Eli understood that God is calling the young man. Go back and lie down. Speak, O Lord, your servant is listening. Samuel went and lay down in his place. So here, the book of Shmuel of course, recalls the story of the snare. But there's one important difference. In the Torah, Moses and Pharaoh have no relationship. Yes, Pharaoh's daughter adopts Moses as a child. Yes, later on, Moses can walk into Pharaoh's court and speak to Pharaoh. Somehow, the text doesn't say how, why. But it never, ever suggests there's any kind of real relationship between Moses and Pharaoh. That's not true over here. Eli is Samuel's teacher, and more than that. The voice of God for Samuel is the voice of Eli. He doesn't distinguish those two voices. One gets the sense that if Eli doesn't say, go back and sleep, and say, God, I'm listening, Samuel will run to Eli ten times, fifty times, a hundred times. That's what the pupil does for the Rebbe. So there's a deep relationship over here. And that's part of the great tragedy of the book of Samuel. That Samuel's mission in chapter 3 will be to confirm the prophecy of chapter 2 
that the man of God brought to Eli. The house of Shiloh was to be destroyed. That's the message that Samuel has to bear and bring to Eli, who actually in the story is teaching Samuel how to be a prophet. Samuel, God is speaking to you. This is what you have to say. There's a deep relationship between the two. So the book of Samuel takes the story of Moses and the burning bush, of course, but doesn't simply transpose it to our chapter. Transposes and changes. When you transpose, you also change. The book of Samuel, perhaps more than any other book, is about deep relationships and complicated relationships between people. One of the examples of this can be found in chapter 3. The little Samuel, the devoted pupil, the honest servant of God, and the Rebbe. And Samuel's mission is to tell the Rebbe his house will be destroyed.